I'm going to be reading from the book of Job. Keep in mind, there are 42 chapters in this book of Job and so much that we can glean from. But when, when each of us think of what God is doing in us and through us based upon what he's done on us, everything that he did in Job, in his life right here, the book of Job was approximately nine months. So if you think you and I have been through a few things in our months or any period of nine months, well, we have Job. And we can measure ourselves and we can come up with a conclusion that he was a man of faith and he had to learn that, had to learn obedience through the things that God was, was allowing him to go through. But also what we have in Christ is far greater, far greater than what Job ever had or experienced. We have Christ in us in every single thing that we go through. So we know, again, uh, just for a refresher, we know that this whole thing that happened in Job's life was instigated by God. He was the one that allowed it to happen because he, when Satan would, would come in his presence, you'll see this in the first chapter of Job, when he was allowed to come into his presence, of course uninvited, but God allowed it, he asked him, have you considered my servant Job? How upright, in other words, how righteous he truly is. How righteous he is. And how he hates evil. He hates it, at least as far as he knew. <laughs> and thank God, at least as far as we can understand it in the light of who Christ is, um, we hate it. Uh, based on Psalm 97, verse 10. But, but uh, God uh, instigated that whole thing. And we can see by the time we get to the 42nd chapter, that, that it was instigated by God because all God wanted to do was take out of Job and get out of him in his own life, in Job's own thoughts, in Job's own, and we, see, we'll, we will see his own self-righteousness. Um, he wanted to get that out just so he could bless him doubly. And sometimes we think when God... It takes away those things that we, that in one sense we can become attached to, or they, could, they become attached to us, and we can take them for granted too. But so God, in his love for us, when things get, even the things that he blesses us with will get in the way, he has a plan to take those out. And the way that he takes those out, those attachments, those, even those material things, whatever they may be, or thoughts that don't come from him, uh, he, he has to break and, 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 and take them away from us because the fact is, it's really not the things in themselves that are bad. It's just in the flesh, me as, uh, as separated from God. That's when they become that way. So God instituted, instigated that just so, and, and you, Satan, and we've said this in the past too. Uh, we know in 1 John 5, 18, the wicked one touches us not. That's our position. It's untouchable. So even when we sin, as we have shared in the past, by the grace of God, sin doesn't touch relationship. But it certainly touches and can get in the way of a fellowship, communion with Christ. Because we can't commune with Christ while there's any 
uh, present sin that we're aware of and, and don't allow it to be dealt with in 1 John 1, 9 by, by confessing it. So Job's life was very, very interesting. We, you know, we said that uh, in the first chapter, we see that Job would get up every morning and he would offer a sacrifice for his children. And just in case they had sinned, he would offer a sacrifice. But as revealed, and we will see it by the time we get to Job in the 32nd chapter, we're going to see that he forgot himself. <laughs> and thinking of others and thinking of his children, he missed God in his own experience in areas of his life. He didn't offer a sacrifice for himself. Job 32, 1 and 2 reveals that there was areas in his life where he was self-righteous. He lived in self-thoughts and self-determination and self-righteousness. And that was simply based upon what God graciously had given him in material things with a family and, and with a tremendous amount of wealth. He certainly would be a multi-millionaire in today's economy, even back then. But God allowed Satan to take away those things. And that's what God does with us. He allows the enemy to come. and He can't touch our relationship. But the things that happen to us in our experience, and those where the, the, that's where the attachments are, he allows them to come in and deal with us because he's on a choke chain. <laughs> Satan is on a choke chain. I don't know, some of, you, some of us that have pets, especially, you know, dogs, we have these, these chains and their collar, and they have these prongs. And when the owner pulls on it, he can only go so far because he's on a leash. That's what Satan is for the believer. And that's why um, Joseph could even say to the evil that was inspired by Satan through his brothers, he could say, you meant it for evil under, under the enemy, but God meant it for good in Genesis 50, verse 20. So everything that happens to us in our life. And we're going to see that this morning. Everything that happens to us is because it truly is if God wants to bless us, but there are things in the way that hinder him from blessing us. We're going to understand those things. We're going to understand why there's pain, why there's suffering, why those things and how necessary they are. And in this sense, those are the things that are a yoke. They're a yoke, and those are the things that will keep us close to him because what are, we like? what are we like when we're far away from him in our own thoughts, just like Job was? So he allows the enemy to come in. Finally, by the time we get to the ninth chapter of Job, and we see in Job 9, and Job is answering his three friends, who are giving him counsel that's true, but they're using it against him. Okay, so in other words, God will give us counsel for each other, but it's never against us. It's never to be used. It's against, against us. It's for us. So then Job answered in Job 9 verse 1 and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how will a man be just with God? In other words, can a man be just? Can a man be equal to the justice of God. Can a man be equal? So in other words, we know too that you cannot separate God's love, his nature, that's part of his nature, from his justice, that's a part of his nature. You can't separate those two. And, and so God is just. You can see that all through the scriptures. If you get that, you get that in Hosea 
um, 6, verse 6, and you can get that in Micah 6, 6 through 8, about just and justice. This is what he said in, in verse 3. If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. In other words, he's getting in arguments with God. And his argument is based upon, Job's argument is based upon his own thoughts. They're not God's thoughts. And with a thousand of them, we can give God a thousand excuses and a thousand, as believers, here we are in Christ, we can give him a thousand excuses why we do some of the things we do. But do they, are they equal to God's thoughts? So then he, then he says in verse 4, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and prospered. <laughs> I mean, who? And so finally, um, we can see in verse 17 of Job 9, it says, he breaks, he breaks me with a tempest. What is the thing that he needs to continually break? What was he doing in Job? What was Job functioning in? He was functioning in his own thoughts. Okay, and his own thoughts derived from flesh apart from God under the influence of, this, of the enemy would just amount to what? Pride. That's the thing he's got to constantly break us of. The area where we don't need God further don't want him. And so he breaks me with a tempest. That's why we talk about the will. See, the will. The will, all through the book of Proverbs, especially those first three chapters in the book of Proverbs, when it speaks of neck, it always speaks of the will. And just like our physical necks turn our heads, which is where our mind and, and emotions are located, it just that's what the will. We turn away. <laughs> We're very selective in the flesh. We're very selective in areas of obedience, all of us. But that's in the flesh, and it's based upon pride. So then it says... He breaks me with a tempest. He allows these things to come in, these storms in life, all these different things that can cause suffering. And then it says, and he multiplies my wounds without cause. You know, like God would do something for us without cause. <laughs> I mean, who are we, you know, without cause? Verse 18, he will not allow me to take my breath. Of course, he's saying all this because he has breath. <laughs> but fills me with bitterness. Yeah, God was filling him with bitterness. It wasn't based upon his own thoughts or the anger that he had really towards God, but was turning inward because he could deal with it. Only God could. So that anger turned inward and was causing him to be bitter. So then finally, if you read all the way down through that, because we want to skip through some things, it's very interesting what he says here in verse 32. Look at what he says. He's talking about God. For he is not a man. He's not a man. Now, Job is saying that, right? He's saying that. But who was the lamb slain before Job was even born? Did that have anything to do with God knowing his son's going to put on humanity and be a man, in, in Revelation 13, 8, without any question about it. So, but he's saying he's not a man. In other words, God doesn't know what I'm going through. Do you ever think that? Well, it must be easy for you, God. You have no idea what I'm going through. <laughs> you don't know what I'm going through. And based upon that, I'm going to counsel you with my words of doubt, irritation, 
anger, frustration. I can't figure this out. Why are you, why are you allowing this? Is it something I did? <laughs> Do you have something against me? And that was the counsel of Job's three friends. <laughs> That's what they were doing the whole time. Well, he says, for he's not a man in Job 9, 32, that I should answer him. I can't talk to him. You know, because here I am a man and he's God. He doesn't know. <laughs> of course, he created Adam, you know. And he knew the end from the beginning. In Isaiah 46, verse 10. The, the end of every man from the beginning before they were created. That's why it says that in Isaiah 46, 10. And that's why it says it again in Acts 15, 18. Known are all his works pertaining to his son that he gave for us from the beginning. And that's why Jesus says about himself, and he, and he speaks it in, in humanity, but he speaks it as the Son of God. He said in Revelations 1, 8, 11, and 17, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So what do you think we're going to put in between those two things with our thoughts? <laughs> Is there any room in that? No. He said that I should answer him, and that we should come together in judgment. Well, how's he going to face God? How can any of us face God apart from Christ? How, could we, how do we face anything in life? Never mind face God or anything in life because everything about us as Christians, it really has to do with getting us to face God in issues in our life, all of us. And he said, well, how should we come together in judgment? I don't know, how could we? apart from Christ. That's why he said this in verse 33. Neither is, any, is there any daysman, neither is there an umpire, someone that could come between us, that might lay his hand upon us both. You know what he was saying? There's not a man, there's not a God-man or a man-God to come between us. One who could put his hand on God, because he understands God, and one who could put his hand on me and be this go-between. But there was a lamb, and when was he slain? From the foundation of the earth, before anything we ever went through. God has a provision for us long before anything we ever went through. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there's one mediator, there's one umpire, there's one go-between between God and man. Who is it? It's the man, Christ Jesus. So in other words, so if Christ is God's one thought and the fulfillment of his will, then what kind of a conversation can I have with God apart from him that would be of any value whatsoever? <laughs> there's, no, there's no one, there's no man. There's no man. There's, there isn't any. Right? Then look at him by the time he says to uh, chapter 10, verse 1. So apart from experience and the reality of Christ between us and God, uh, between uh, be, and the reality of Christ between us and the enemy, Satan, if we don't understand those two things, the fact that Christ is between the, the most incredible and only go-between between God and us, but also between Satan and us. That's why, again, in 1 John 5, 18, wicked one touches us not. Can't touch that position. I don't want to sin, but no sin of mine can touch my relationship with God because Christ 
dealt with those sins, but can I still live in them in the flesh? Yes, and does that rob my experience of fellowship with him? It most certainly do. It does, and that sin just simply means when I operate in sin, I'm just operating in my own thoughts. And are they mine apart from Christ? Or whose would they be? And they would be the enemy. So this is what he says. Finally, in, in 10 verse 1, my soul is weary of life. How many has ever said that? You're going through things. You're going through a series of things. A series of things. Those processes, those serious, uh, series of things, those sufferings are to lead us and to bring us to a crisis point. I can't take it anymore. I can't. Oh, good. Now you have to face me. And when we face him, who are we facing? A judge or one who loves us and has dealt with everything? So he said, I will leave my complaint upon myself because that's as far as it gets in the flesh, guys. In any of us. When we complain, when we complain, is that, does that have anything to do with who we are in Christ? Furthermore, has Christ dealt with every complaint and every need of it? And he certainly has, right? I will speak in, bit, in the bitterness of my soul. What is bitterness? It's anger turned inward. That's what was counseling Job. We can blame everybody, but that's the fact. You see, because the picture here is how God deals individually with each of us. And there's no blame game. None. There's a whole series of things that happen, and the book of Job is so incredible. But by the time we get to chapter 23... He says in verse 1, Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. Okay, how about that? Our complaints, what do they amount to? What are they the cause of? Bitterness. Anger turned inward. I don't like this. I don't like your plan. I don't like the pain. I don't like the suffering. And when I don't rest and trust you and be obedient and humble myself to you, I fight you in anger inwardly. I get bitter. I'm bitter because my stroke is heavier than my groaning, he said. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Yeah, and we're going to find him in the flesh, right? <laughs> in complaining under the prince and power of the air. That I might come even to his seat. Yeah, you can come to his seat. Any of us could come to his seat, his throne, his judgment place, apart from Christ. Not happening for any of us, right? Well, by the time you, you see it, he says in verse uh, Job 23, 8, he says, Behold, I go forward. Where, now, what is he going forward in the proper experience? No. He's going forward in anger and bitterness. That's what's counseling him. Yeah, I go forward, but he's not there. Of course he's not there. You don't find his love and bitterness and anger towards self. Right? He's not there. And backward. Oh, boy. You know what? <laughs> we try to go forward without him. What does it amount to? It's bitterness and anger and pride. But, and then when we get tired of trying to go forward without him and try to do the right things, what do we do? We give up. And what do we do? We go back. We backslide. And that backsliding in Jeremiah 2.19 begins to correct us because we're like the mule, the donkey. Snuffs up its, its face to God. 
in rebellion in, in Jeremiah 2 and verse 23. So here's what he says. I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. <laughs> On the left hand, where he does work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand. What do you suppose he, where do you suppose God is hidden from? Isaiah 45, verse 5. The pride of man. And do we have that in the flesh as believers? Yes. Are we of it? Is anything about us of God and Christ in that? No, that's Romans 8, 9. The flesh is in us, but we're not of it. That's why we, again, stress those little words, in and of, when we read the word of God. But, he says, and he hides himself on the right hand. Now, who sits on the right hand? Who's sitting on the right hand of God for us? It's Christ. Is the flesh hidden from their position in the flesh? Yep. Do we become blind to it? Yeah. What blinds us? The hardness of heart. Hardness of uh, the mind and emotions. And so he's on the right hand, and I cannot see. I cannot see him. And when you can't see him, proper image, do I see who I am in, in, in my image in Christ? No. Verse 10. But, and here's the beauty for us and for Job, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me. How does God try us? Pain. Not just physical, but mental and emotional. The pain of rejection, the pain of being misunderstood by others. Uh, you know, physical pain, physical suffering. But there's a mental and emotional and, uh, suffering also. Uh, for instance, even he's teaching us, even in the loss of a loved one. The loss of a loved one. Um, and those that have experienced that. Um, uh, parents losing a child, a husband losing a wife. And maybe they don't know Maybe they don't know physical pain like a lot of believers that are suffering in these godless countries that are suffering physical pain and suffering uh, as well as, as emotional too. And, and, but when you lose a loved one, you may not experience physical pain, but there's a deep anguish in, uh, in pain and sorrow at the loss of a loved one. So, but that teaches us it teaches us. But he knows the way that I take. Not if, but when he's tried me. And he will try all of those that are his. For what purpose? He, 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 he tries me. Why? Because he wants me to come forth as he truly sees me in his son, gold. Gold speaks of the deity and the sight of God. That's him. Gold speaks of his deity. We, we become his little silver ones, products of redemption. Silver all through the Bible speaks of redemption. And then it says, my foot has held his steps. <laughs> oh boy. You know why? Because Christ in 1 Peter 2 verse 21, we follow his steps because he walked and went through what you and I never could and he carried us as he walked us through. And that's why it says in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man, those that are in Christ, are ordained of the Lord. He knows the way. That's the way. Then he could say this in that, 
by saying my foot has kept his steps in this particular area. His way have I kept because he brought me to that place and not declined. I haven't gone back. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips in specific areas. But why? In areas where we don't go back, you know why? Because look what it says in 23.12 of Job. I have esteemed the words of his mouth. Listen, more than my necessary food. I mean, the word is more important than any detail in life and more important than any, any circumstance or situation that I go through, more than any material thing. So, but then we get to verse 16 of Job 23, and it says this, For God makes my heart soft. Why? God has to make my heart soft. How does he do that? How does he make me pliable? How does he get my will to be submitted to him? How does that happen? The Almighty troubles me. Who does he use? Well, he can use an unkind word. He can use a misunderstanding. He can misrejection. He can use rejection. He can use pain and suffering. And he will use it because all pain, honestly, all true pain, okay, really and truly, it doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy that God uses to make our hearts soft, to make our wills pliable. Right? The Almighty troubles me. Why? To make my heart soft. That's why it says in Psalm 119. 130. It says the entrance of his words give light. Notice that? There's got to be an entrance. There has to be a will that's broken for the will to come in experientially and deal with areas in our life so that we're free. And that's why he allows the trouble to make my heart soft. So Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of your word gives life. It gives understanding to those that he's humbled. And so by the time we get there, and there's so much more in here, there's so much more, but what we look at by the time we get, and there's so many chapters and things in here that are loaded that we have to, that we have to skip over here. But um, we can see even in 28, verse 12, of Job 28, verse 12, where will wisdom be found? Don't we need wisdom? You know, in this life, we need power and wisdom. We need power. We don't have it in ourselves to overcome anything. But we have the one who is power, who did overcome, overcome those things. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's why we are kept by the power of God in 1 Peter 1, 5, because that's Christ. He laid his life down. He gave it over to death so that, that we could realize that power in John 10, 17 and 18. No man ever took his life. Pilate never took his life. The, the religious, hateful uh, Jewish system of Judaism and those uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the scribes and the Essenes, they hated him. They didn't take his life. He gave it over. He said, I have power to lay my life down and, and power to take it up. No one ever took it from him. He wasn't a weak, weak, trembling victim. He was a powerful, strong man. The, the man. The man, the God-man, the word-of-life man. And so he says, where, where is wisdom found and where is the place of understanding? You know, our place is in Christ. 
That's our place of understanding, place of wisdom. But see, verse 13, it says, man not doesn't know the price thereof. We don't know the value of it like we ought to. We're learning. We don't know the value of him. Neither is it found in the land of the living. Those that are living apart from him, that's for sure. The depth says, it is not in me. The depth says, it's not in me. Look, the sea says, it's not with me. And we've said this before. Listen, I love the ocean. I grew up there. I love it. But if we're going there to find something other than Christ, it's not there. We won't even be able to enjoy it properly. Because how can the creature enjoy the creation of the creator properly apart from the creator? It just can't be done with any of us. How many times we have to learn that? All of us, right? So, and then in verse 15, it cannot be gotten for gold. I don't know, can gold replace him? It, neither will silver be weighed for the price thereof. We don't know it. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir and the precious onyx of the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it. No mention will be made of coral or of pearls for the price of wisdom is above rubies. And then on and on and on it goes. And then it says in verse 23, God understands the way thereof. Who knows his son better than him? Who knows the son better than the father? That's what the truth is being brought out in Matthew 11, verse 27. That's the truth in John 6, verse 44 and 65. No man knows the father but the son. No man knows the son but the father. No one. No one. Thank God he's given us his son so that we do have that go-between who's tasted every single thing and far more than you and I will ever go through, far more pain and suffering. But when we understand pain and suffering in a righteous way, we see it leads to glory. He suffered like no other human being ever did. But he has a place of glory and a name based upon a nature as a man far above everything. He understands the way thereof, and he knows the place thereof. Well, who is the way but Christ in John 14, 6? Who is the place but Christ himself? Who is? And he said in verse 28, unto man, he said, behold, the reverence of the Lord, that's wisdom. No matter what you're going through, the reverence of the Lord is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. See? And then you look at Job... Uh, uh, there's so much we're missing here, but we have to go by it. So finally, Job gets to the place, and this is the place that God is bringing each of us based upon our position in Christ so that our experience will be the equal measure of what we're going through and the reason why we're going through it. And by the way, there's not anything that you and I go through where Christ does not go through it with us and interceding for us in Romans 8 verse 34 and in Hebrews 7 verse 25 and in Hebrews 9 verse 24. He's ever living to intercede for us. We have a high priest who can be and was touched by every single thing we went through so that we can come to him boldly. And that's in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 uh, based upon the, the word of God. So then... We finally get to Job 32, where Job's three friends stopped these three men, his so-called friends that were giving him godly counsel, but were using it based upon their own self-righteousness against Job. 
So these three men ceased to answer Job. They ceased counseling him. Why? Because he was righteous in his own eyes. Who can counsel us? Can the word of God have any effect on us when in areas through ignorance or pride we're righteous in our own eyes? We don't need correction. We don't need understanding. We got it. We're all set. Oh, boy. Listen, we all have that in us. Every one of us. Every one of us. And these trials and these sufferings and these pains are, caused, are causing us to keep facing him. That's that yoke that keeps us near him. Because if we didn't have those things, we would be so far away. We would take the things, the material things that he's blessed us with and skip him and leave him in a heartbeat. Any of us would. So, because Job, he, he, he was righteous in his own eyes. The three men, not only, not only Job was righteous in his own eyes, but so were those three friends. So what kind of counsel could there be in exchange? Both living in that place. He was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakal. And Elihu here, when we understand the types in the Bible, there are men that were types of Christ, not in their own person, but in the work and in the wisdom and word that God was accomplishing through them. That's what made them types, like Moses, Noah, and on and on the types go in the Bible. But here, Elihu was a type of Christ. Why? Because, why? Because against Job was his wrath kindled. What was he against Job in? His pride. Was he against Job in the love of God? Nope. Nope. No. Against him, Job, was his wrath kindled. Why? Because he justified himself rather than God. In other words, he counseled God based upon his own self-righteousness and based upon the fact that he understood God, who's love, and even God's justice. In other words, this is, you shouldn't do this here, maybe here, but not here. Who's calling the shots? He, he justified himself rather than God. And I wrote this down this morning as God was giving me this this morning. Is any of God's justice, which is never separated from his love, in any man outside of Christ? No. Do I know what Christ accomplished on the cross fully between God, the Son, and God himself? Do, do I? I can measure that? <laughs> oh my God, no. I can't, I can't, I, I cannot measure sin. And neither can I measure who I am in him, in his love, his justice. No question about it. So, verse 3, against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they found no answer for Job. On and on it goes. You can read that. But by the time we get to, and this is where we would get to here, and this is where I got to, in Job 35, verse 1, Elihu spoke moreover and said, Do you think this to be right that you said my righteousness is more than God's? Like, I, I know 
my circumstances and situations. I know what I should. I know when God should relieve me of pain and suffering. I know when that should happen. I'm going to argue against him. Of course, we all do in the flesh. Think that my, my understanding of myself and God is more than God's. For you said, what advantage will it be unto you? What, will I prof- what profit will I have if I be cleansed from my sin? I will answer you and your companions with you. This is, he's telling me, I'm going to answer you. He said, look up, look unto the heavens and see. Look up and behold the clouds which are higher than you. <laughs> oh God. If you sin, what, what do you against him? Or if your transgressions be multiplied, what do you do unto him? If you be righteous, what do you have to give him? And what, re- what does he get? What does he receive of your hand? Oh, my God. Should we return his love to him that he loved us with? Or what do we return to him? Our complaints, our own counsel about ourselves, about others, how others treat us, or all this other stuff. That's, that's godly counsel. No, it's based upon ourselves. Right? Verse 8, your wickedness may hurt a man as you are. Oh, my God. You know, I said, oh, God forbid that. My own thoughts about God in my own life, I confess them to others. I'm against God in that area, and I confess it, and I'm against those that hear me. And your righteousness may profit the Son of Man. By reason of the multitude of oppressions, they make the the oppressed to cry. They cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty. Look at what it says in verse 10. But none says, where is God, my maker? How close is he to us in Christ? How closer to we and him in Christ and everything we go through. But look, who, where is God my maker who gives us, who gives songs in the night? Who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth? He teaches us. Because when we don't, when he doesn't teach us, we act just like animals. Everything's conscious, self-conscious instinct and whatever our body craves, we go after. That's animals. Do they have any appreciation of God at all? None. Who teaches us and makes us wiser than the fowls of heaven? Even the birds, they know when to fly south. And others that can stay here, do they store up for the winter? Where'd they get all that from? There they cry, but none gives an answer. Why? Because of the pride of evil men. God going to answer me in my pride? Nope. Surely God will not hear vanity, neither neither will the Almighty regard it. Although you say you will not see him, yet judgment is before him. Therefore, trust in him. Trust in him. He was crying out in his pain and in his suffering. It's what he was doing the whole time. And the whole time, God was just leading him to a place where God could bless him. Seriously. But he had to see himself for what he was in areas in his life, apart from, apart from God, apart from the place where he actually was in position in Christ. And that's what he had to do. And that's what he has to do in each one of us. He, would, he was crying out in the bitterness of, of his, his physical, 
and his physical pain and suffering. And what was God teaching him? Why was God allowing that? Because there was, a, there was something far deeper in him that that pain and suffering that God allowed was going after. And what was it in any of us? What is it? It's pride. It's sin, and that keeps us separated from him. Yeah. Oh, boy. You know, and we, we want, what do we want when we face it? Come on, all of us are in the natural. Yeah, you're looking forward to pain and suffering? No. What's the first thing we want to do if we don't think with him? Try to escape it. Try and run from it. And try and take anything and everything to do away with it, right? When all the time God is using that. And that becomes a yoke for us too. It does. It's a yoke that keeps us near him. Because I will tell you what. You imagine if God met every need that I felt like he should meet, do you think I would want anything with him to do with him anymore? I would be so occupied with the things that he gave me that I would value him far less than what he gave me. I'd make more of that. That's why gold and silver, rubies, and you don't find wisdom there. You don't find, that's not true treasure. And that goes again, that goes into Matthew 6, 19, all the way to 34, storing up treasures. Because the true treasure is Christ in us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Colossians 2, 3. And we're in him. And he goes with us. And any suffering or pain, he measures. Did, you, did I hear that? Did we all hear that? Any suffering or pain, he has measured according to his love, his grace, and according to what his son has accomplished and who he is. He's measured it all long before it touches us because we'll close with this. We're the dot. And the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, he circled himself around us. And whatever goes through that circle, God, that touches the dot is what? Against us or for us? It's for us. 2 Corinthians 4.15, 2 Corinthians 5.18, and Romans 8, verse 28. Amen.